What is God's will? What, why did Christ come? I came down to do not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. What is that? This is the will of him who sent me. That of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. Oh, we've enjoyed that in Romans, haven't we? He's not going to get 99 of his 100 sheep in and say, oh, that's good enough. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him may have eternal life. Isn't that good news? I mean, hear, the, hear me if you hear nothing else. If you're just visiting today, or if you really haven't come to Jesus Christ, maybe you've been looking into Christianity. I'm glad you're here. Welcome. Remember this. This is the will of my Father, Jesus said, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him may have eternal life. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott begins a six-part message titled, The Will of God. And we invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is uh, an amazingly comprehensive and yet concise statement of the Christian life. And I mentioned that, and uh, I continue. I mean, I've taught it many times, but this time through, I just continue to see new vistas of truth packed into this one statement. And I want to encourage you to memorize uh, these two verses and mull them over and think on them and listen carefully to what God has to say. You know, the Christian life, you got 11 chapters telling us what God did. Then you have these last five chapters telling what we should do in response. And the rest of Romans is going to be just that, practical instruction. But in one sense, he puts it all in this first sentence. And if you got this dealt with, why the rest of the book will unfold with readiness to your mind and to your heart. And uh, he wants us to see what he's looking for. And, you know, there are several different ways. Look at the verse again. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Well-pleasing to God. This is what God is looking for. Acceptable to God. It's the only reasonable thing to do. Give yourself to him. In one sense, you could say the Christian life is just that. Present yourself to Him, everything about you. And you'd have said it. And we looked at that. You can hardly come up with a better statement of our responsibility than just that. Present yourself to Him. Or you could take the next statement. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you'd be saying and capsulizing what God is looking for from you, Christian. Don't be like this world. Don't be squeezed into a conformity that isn't the real you. You're a child of God now. You're not a child of wrath any longer. You were, but you've been born again. Don't be, tra don't be conformed, but be transformed. Transformation, that's God's whole purpose in our life. He's changing us, and He's making us more and more like Jesus Christ. And someday He's going to finish the job, and I wouldn't say it if the Scripture didn't say it. 
Because knowing what I know of Jesus Christ, knowing that He is the unique, exalted one that every knee will bow to and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, I wouldn't glibly say that we'll be like Jesus, except He says we will be. We shall be like Him when we see Him. God is going to finish that work, but in the meantime, that's what He's doing. He's transforming us. And as we cooperate, and remember we looked at 2 Corinthians 3, great statement of the process, as we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, as we look at the pages of Scripture and see reflected in the book the very face of Christ, the Holy Spirit transforms us. He changes us. Metamorpho. He changes us from the inside out and we become more and more like Him. We grow from glory to glory and we're transformed into the same image. And that all happens, look at verse 2, by the renewing of your mind. Oh, the great need for you and me to fill our mind with the mind of God. What's God thinking about? What's He want? What's His purpose? I'll know that as I fill my mind with Scripture. That's why Jesus said, you really can't live on just good vitamins and minerals and, you know, balanced diet, bread alone. But every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, real life, not the kind of existence that this world settles for. You know, just getting your body in shape and just acting as if this is all there is. No, the real you, body, soul, and spirit, is to be fed and nourished by the Word of God. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Thy words I've treasured more than my necessary food, Job said of old. I'd rather read the Scripture than eat lunch, he said sometimes. I just, I so much love to know God. That's the heart of the wise Christian. Desires to know Him. And I would exhort you, the Christian life and fruitfulness and joy and peace and the ability to really love God's kind of love, all those things flow from time spent with God in His Word. The great, great need in my life and in your life and in the life of the church today is time in God's Word. We've got tools and resources coming out our ears. And we've got all these things and gadgets and so little time is really spent in God's Word. I don't know how it is in your life. But I can't uh, overemphasize the need to renew your mind. This transformation God speaks of happens by renewal of the mind. So you could state it that way. But having said that, I can also state the Christian life. And in fact, look at verse 2. Paul does. He not only says you could state it by saying this, present yourself to him. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But he can also state it like this, verse 2, that you may prove what the will of God is. That's the statement of the Christian life. What is the Christian life? Proving what the will of God is. Showing forth, discerning, and doing God's will. 
What's the goal of life? To know and do God's will. It's just that simple. So put the others aside for a minute. Now, there are different ways of looking at the same truth because those presented to God won't be conformed to this world. They'll be transformed. They will be. If you present yourself to God as a living and holy sacrifice, you will feed on His Word. You will hunger and thirst after His very words. And you won't be conformed to this world. You will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you will know and do the will of God. Now look at that phrase, and it's interesting to me to realize that that's a statement of uh, the Christian life. Eleven chapters of God saying, here's what I've done, now here's what I want you to do. My will. My will. I want you to know it. I want you to do it. I want you to show it forth. I want you to prove that it is good and acceptable and perfect. And I want us to think on that. It is so central that it's good for us to think on it. You know, Jesus didn't. Paul actually stated this, but he was quoting God. He said that God found a man after his own heart. Remember that? I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart. Where is that? Well, we typically think of looking back to the Old Testament, and you can find it there. But I'm quoting out of the book of Acts, verse uh, 22 of chapter 13. I've found David, a man after God's own heart, who will do all my will. That's the man after God's heart, who will do all my will. And I've been reading David's life in uh, my devotions. And David was a man just like us, a man with the feet of clay, made out of the same nature as us, like all the men of Scripture save one. I'm speaking now of the son of David. And he said what? Ultimately, he is the man after God's heart. And he said, my food is to do the will of of him who sent me. The goal of the Christian life is Christ-likeness. And when Jesus was here, he said, I didn't come to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Turn over there. Look at the Gospel of John for a minute. I want you to see these. Look at John. I just quoted John 4, 34, when Jesus... uh, was talking with his disciples, and they were worrying about food, physical food, like we most of us are. Hey, when's lunch, you know, kind of a thing. And they were worried about that. And he said, listen, and he'd remember he'd got witnessing to that woman at the well, and uh, he, he forgot about lunch. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Turn a page over, chapter 5. Verse 30, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's the heart of Jesus Christ. I don't seek my way. I seek his way. I didn't come. Look at chapter 6, verse 38. I have come down from heaven, 
not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, let me uh, interject here. Jesus is God the Son. His will perfectly matches God the Father. There's no tension between the Father and the Son. The Father and the Son are one. And this is the gospel of His deity, John is. And yet this is the gospel where as our example, as the Son of Man, He so often says, I came to do not my will but His will. And He says it point blank, verse 38. And by the way, good news. Look at verse 38. I've come down from heaven. Jesus said, why did I come? Somebody says, why did Christ come? Why is Christianity? That's what you're asking. Because when I speak on Christianity, I speak on Christ. He is Christianity. What is God's will? What, why did Christ come? I came down to do not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. What is that? Verse 39. This is the will of him who sent me. That of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. Oh, we've enjoyed that in Romans, haven't we? He's not going to get 99 of his hundred sheep in and say, oh, that's good enough. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. And he doesn't stop there. Look at verse 40. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life. Isn't that good news? I mean, hear, hear me if you hear nothing else. If you're just visiting today or if you really haven't come to Jesus Christ, maybe you've been looking into Christianity. I'm glad you're here. Welcome. Remember this. This is the will of my Father, Jesus said, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him may have eternal life. Look at Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll be saved. You'll have eternal life. That is good news. And I can't help but just stop and enjoy it when I'm speaking of the will of God. Jesus says, I came to do His will. And this is the will of the one who sent me, that everybody who sees me, hears me, beholds me, and believes in me has eternal life. And hundreds of people, thousands of people, have just recently heard, seen, and believed and been saved in Russia in Japan, in China, in Portland. It's exciting to think of it. And you can be one of them. You can be one who is saved, who has eternal life. And Jesus will raise you up on the last day. I mean, it's great news. Now, turn over to chapter 8. Chapter 8. Verse 29. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. You want to look at perfection? You look at one who says, I always do the things pleasing to him. You and I, we're trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, Ephesians 5.10 says. And none of us would dare say, I always do the things that please the Lord. Or, let me put it this way, if somebody does dare say that, and now and then you run into somebody who's foolish enough to say that, some Christian, I always do the things that please the Lord, you know they just said something that displeased the Lord. <laughs> you know that's false. You knew it anyway, because if anybody says he doesn't sin, he's a liar, First John 1 says. 
But no, Jesus could say in John chapter 8, I always do the things that please the Father. And of course, that's the chapter where he said to his enemies, which one of you convicts me of sin? And they had nothing to say except call him names, racial slurs. I always do the will of God. I always do that which pleases the Lord, that which is acceptable to him. And Romans 12 says that's what it is. The will of God is acceptable. It's well-pleasing to God. That's what He wants for us. And when we do His will, He is well-pleased. I've come down from heaven. Verse, I'm, I'm, I'm reading now from Psalm 40. I'm really, really reading out of Hebrews 10, but listen to this. This is Jesus Christ speaking prophetically through Psalm 40 and in fulfillment. I said, Behold, I have come. In the roll of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifice for sins thou hast not desired, nor hast thou taken pleasure in them. That really wasn't the ultimate goal of God, to have some animals sacrificed. He didn't take pleasure in them. They're offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do thy will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will, God's will, I came to do it, Jesus said. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I'll tell you, it's the best statement I can make about the will of God. It's what Jesus did. And primarily, the references bring us back to what he did. Not just doing through life, though that's very true. He always did the things that please the Father, but he came to do thy will. He came to offer his life a ransom for many. He came to lay his life down a sacrifice for us. And by this will, by this cross of Jesus Christ, we are sanctified. Now, that's not only the key to life. But it is just almost instinctively known when people think of God, even the unregenerate, if there's a God, they might say, you know, and they know there is, we should be doing His will. We're creatures. We should be doing His will. In fact, look over at John 9 if you're still there. Remember the blind man? Uh, He's a great illustration for us. We've already seen it in uh, other areas because, you know, We saw the need to have our eyes opened, and the blind man had just that. And after he'd come to the Lord, after his eyes were opened, he started to teach the Pharisees. And you remember they were saying, what do you say about him? He said, well, I don't know much. I know one thing. I was blind, and now I can see. And they, of course, didn't like that. That's verse 25. Um, they, They told him, verse 24, they, they didn't want to hear the truth about Jesus. This is the way a lot of people are today. They don't want to hear. They want to hear, but they don't want. You know, tell me about God, but don't tell me anything I don't want to hear. Tell me about God, but make it sure it fits into my preconceived notion of who God is. So they said, tell us, what happened here? And he said, well, you know. And they'd gone through this whole chapter as a picture of this. But at verse 24, the second time, they called the man who'd been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Well, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. They said, therefore, to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, because they'd already asked him and he'd told them. I told you already and you don't listen. Why do do you want to hear it again? 
You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? Whoa. <laughs> he knew. They didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to hear about Jesus. He said, what do you keep wanting me to tell you? You want to become his disciples too? They reviled him and said, you're his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we don't know where he's from. They were religionists. They cling to their religion, but they spurned this man, Jesus. The man answered, verse 30, and said to them, Well, here's an amazing thing, that you don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know, look at verse 31, we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. This fella just instinctively said, look, we know one thing. If anyone is God-fearing and does his will, God will hear him. And they knew that. You know that. People know that instinctively. You say, well, his eyes had just been opened. Yes, he's a great example for us. His eyes were opened. He was blind and now he can see. And he knows that he can now and we should and anyone who will do the will of God will be accepted by God. He says, listen, he'll hear you if you fear him and you do his will. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This man has realized who Jesus Christ is. And they said to him, you were born entirely in your sins, and are you teaching us? And they put him out. And you remember they went on to debate with Jesus on it, and the chapter closes with them still refusing to admit anything. And so they stayed in their blindness. Verse 41, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, your sin remains. You see, men fancy themselves able to see. They're really blinded. Men fancy themselves, and our generation is full of this, able to do their own will. And really, just as blind as the person who says he can see when he can't, so the person who says, I can do my own thing, is really... 2 Timothy 2, verse 26 tells us, held captive by the devil to do his will. Now, that's a strong statement. 2 Timothy 2, 26, people are ensnared by the devil, held captive by him to do his will. That's before you come to Christ. People say, I do my own thing, and they reject Christ. They're not doing their own thing. They're doing his thing, Satan's thing. They're doing his will, and it's sobering to realize that. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, The Will of God, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. 
The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. You know, in Psalm 115, and we saw this back in Romans chapter 9, but in Psalm 115, the, the people are saying, where's your God? And the psalmist answers, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. That's the very definition of God. He'll get his will done. He's not up there wringing his hands, wishing he could get something accomplished. He will get it done. The determined will of God. 135th Psalm. I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and in earth and in the seas and in all deeps. Oh, praise God. One of the reasons we worship Him is that He is God. He can do it and He will do it. His determined will will be accomplished. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, The Will of God. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.